Uh, good morning, church family. My name is Nathan. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just a blessing to be with you guys. Um, from Glorified on Friday to the wits sharing uh, their story, I'm just reminded over the last couple of days of how unique and beautiful the family of God is. You know, the fact that we're all welcomed in here despite what we've done, are doing, or are going to do, and God still loves us and chases after us. I can't think of a better series than God with us and looking throughout the scriptures at different stories of how God shows up and in that Jesus is present. And we're going to look at another Old Testament story today um, that I honestly really love and that I actually cried over a couple times this week studying it. It's a beautiful story of how God is with us in the process, but not just that he's with us in the process. He also goes before us to prepare something even better for us than we could ever imagine. <clears throat> and for anybody that knows me, you know that I love food. This is a weird transition, but I promise it relates, all right? I love that only one person in here loves food, too. It's fine. Um, no, I love food. I love to eat. I love having people over. I love going over to people's houses. No, that's not an invite to just show up anytime. But I do love food, and we just had a holiday that all you do is celebrate the food that's in front of you. Oh, yeah, and you're supposed to be thankful as well. But let's be honest. You sit and wait five hours for a turkey. You're more thankful for that turkey. Let's be honest here, okay? But really, like, Thanksgiving is this entire, like, day of prepping, right? Prepping the mashed potatoes really should only take 30 minutes to an hour, but honestly, I don't know. I've never made them. So probably that time. The turkey takes forever for who knows what reason, but you wait and you wait. And then if you're like me, you don't prepare anything. You just walk into the kitchen and smell. And you're like anticipating this amazing meal that everyone else is working on. But that whole idea of preparing and waiting is something we do on that day. But my family does something a little bit different. See, in the Cesaretti household, Cesaretti Italian, we do something drastically different. We don't have the traditional Thanksgiving dinner. And before you're like, no, Nathan, mashed potatoes, gravy, and turkey. Don't worry, my wife's family still does that. And we're still crazy enough to think that we can go to both. So I get both, all right? Just different days. But my family, instead, we make ravioli. That's right. I said, we make ravioli. Okay, the middle picture is from last year. Uh, you can tell because there's no mustache. Yeah, I know it's gone. Sorry, guys. But there it is. The other two photos on the sides are from this year. That's my dad and my sister. And then on the far photo to, to your guys' right, that's Sammy right there. He's getting so big. But my family makes raviolis for hours because it is a process. We show up, you have to roll the dough out. The first photo is exactly that. It takes two people working together and you have to roll it out like 10 times, okay? Then you get this nice thin layer of pasta right there. And then what you have to do is you have to get a mixing bowl 
which is literally just a cereal bowl. And you get all these different ingredients. My family loves to do like big meat, so it's like elk, deer, um, of course chicken, because you have to have that. And then bunts of cheeses, and then if you're a health nut, we do have some greens, some. But really ravioli is meant to be meat and cheese, so that's what we do. Then you mix it up as if you're a blender, but you're the blender, just mixing it up as best you can then you have to scoop it out in like nice, nice size, right, right there, if you can see that. I don't think you guys can see the laser pointer. So right there, you have to spread them out perfectly. Then you have to fold over the dough. Then you have to cut it nicely, and you got that little weird cutter with the like rivets in it so that you get a ravioli look. You have to make sure all the air is out because where air is, water will get in. And so it is a long process. But we continue to do it. It's not like, oh, you just made one, you're done. No, you keep making them for hours on hours, going through this entire process of making them and freezing them. And it is so fun. But my favorite part is actually, you can see in all three photos, my dad. My dad's in the background of the last one. But it is so fun for me on this day to watch my dad because he is with us in the entire process. He is so helpful, and he's over there, like, teaching us how to crank the thing, even though we might already know how to do it. He's over there like, hey, that cheese goes with this meat, and this goes with this. And he's just there every step of the way, even when we don't want him there. He is right beside us. Like, oh, no, you should have put this here. Do this instead. But it is so helpful to know that he is always there as a helping hand. And it's just constant. The entire day, he is always helpful, and he is there to act as a guide. And it's really cool for me to see, because often how we view our fathers or our relationship with our fathers is how we view God. Now, not always, but how we interact with our dad is sometimes how we interact with God. And I'm blessed with the fact that my dad has a characteristic like helpfulness because it mirrors God, but it's nowhere close to God. And so if you don't have a solid relationship with your dad, just know that there is a God that loves you so much. There's a God that hears you, that loves you, that cares for you because God is with us. And in the passage we're looking at today, we are going to look at a piece of scripture that highlights God's willingness to help his people. But we are also going to look at a passage that God is not just in the moment with them, but he's already gone before them to prepare something better. We will see that God hears them, that he is present with them, and that he goes before them. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus 2. Once again, that's Exodus 2, and we're going to look at verses 23 through 312. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, it'll be on the screen. Exodus 2, 23 says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. We're going to continue in chapter 3. 
Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro and the priest, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned, God called out to Moses out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And the Lord said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. And I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hivites, Amorites, and so many ites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is one of those stories that reminds us that there are seasons of life where we may not feel God's presence. There are seasons of lives where we're crying out, God, why am I being oppressed? Why did I get this cancer treatment? Why, God, did this happen to my family member? Why did this person die? Why did I get fired? Why did this happen to me? This is a story that reminds us in those moments, we can cry out to God because he hears us and he responds in a beautiful way. This is a God that hears, responds, and so as we dive into these words and take a deeper look at them, let's pray that God would open our eyes to his truth today. Lord, I pray that as we dive back into these verses, as we look at the story of Israel, as we look at the story of Moses, and as we look at ourselves, Lord, that we would be reminded that you are with us, that you are a God that chases after us, you are a God that's with us in every moment, but you are also a God that is preparing something better for us. I pray that we would be reminded of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first group we're going to look at today is how God is with Israel. And in these first set of verses, we see that the Pharaoh of Egypt died, that the people of Israel began to realize that they were in slavery, they were being oppressed, and they cry out to God, and God heard them, he remembered them, he saw them, and he knew them. No longer 
did Egypt represent this place of security and food for these people? Instead, it represented the complete opposite, a place of oppression and hardship. And this scripture clearly states that in that, God hears their suffering. And for God to hear their suffering, he had to be with them. Think about it. Have you ever tried to hear someone that's not in the same room as you? It's exceedingly difficult, almost impossible. To truly hear someone, you have to be present with them. You have to walk with them. You have to be willing to hear them. And in fact, we see that God responds to Israel in four ways. He heard them. He remembered them. He saw them and he knew. And if you're like me, first reading this, you go, wait one second, Nathan. It says God remembered. How did God forget? He is an all-knowing God after all. How could God remember something if he forgot? And so anytime we have doubts, I think it's God calling us to search it out. Like, figure out the truth, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Pursue it. And so as I studied this section, I realized that when Scripture says God remembered, it's actually not that God forgot, but that we forgot. We forgot, and the people of Israel forgot that, oh yeah, this is the God that took care of Abraham, that took care of our fathers before us. And so when they cry out to God, it's not that God forgot. It's that God goes, ah, my people remember, I am with them. And that's true for us at times too, that there are times where we're like, God's not with me because blank happened. But it's not true that God is not with us. He is always with us. He walks with us in our struggles. He's with us in our suffering. And like the Israelites, we need to recognize that we serve a God that can do something about our suffering. It may not make it easy, like we learned about peace. It doesn't mean that your circumstances change, but it means that you recognize God is with you through it. And in verses 3, 7 through 10, we see God's response to his people. God hears their prayers, and he calls on Moses to go and lead them. And we'll get to Moses in a second, but for now, let's focus on this response to the Israelites. God sees their affliction. He sees their cries. He sees their oppression. He sees their suffering. And he himself comes down. In verse 8, I have come down to deliver them. He came down to dwell with them and to save them. And in a season where we're anticipating, you know, baby Jesus being born on quote-unquote Christmas, I can't think of a better way that God does this right here, perfectly explaining the gospel. A piece of himself coming down to earth to dwell with his people to save them. That's Jesus' story. Jesus came and dwelled among us and died so we can experience freedom and forgiveness and life. And here in these verses, we see how God displays his plans, not just then, And not just when Jesus came, but for us today. Why? Because God is with us. God does not leave us in a foreign land. He does not leave us in our suffering. He is with us in it, and he goes before us and prepares something better. A place that we need. We see that he was preparing a land filled with milk and honey, which means there were flowers, which means there were fields, which means there was livestock. Everything those people needed 
that is what God was providing for them. And when I read something like this, it makes me go, what type of God would do this? (laughs) What type of God would chase after a people that a couple pages later, after they're out of Egypt, they would make a golden calf and worship that instead of him? What type of God continually chases after us even when we know we're doing wrong? What type of God would continue to do this over and over again? What type of God uses people like Moses to reach his people? What type of God does this? And the beautiful part about Moses' story is that he gets to talk with God multiple times throughout his life. It's beautiful that God will sit with him and talk with him. And before we get to that section right here, I want to tell you about another time that God comes down and literally tells Moses who he is. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7, God comes down to Moses and says this, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. If you are ever doubting who God is, come to this verse. Of course, read the Gospels, learn from Jesus. But right here, you will see the character of Jesus. Right here, you will see the character of the Holy Spirit. Right here, you will see the character of the Father God, a God that is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving and just. This is the God that comes down and hears his people, and he chooses Moses to lead them. So let's take a closer look here at why Moses, one, and two, how does God interact with Moses in this section? And if you're like me, when we read this section, you're like, cool, we're reintroduced to Moses. Cool, we hear all this stuff. There was a burning bush that wasn't being consumed. That draws all our attention. Am I right? Let's be honest. We're all little kids at heart. And we hear about a bush burning that's not consumed, and we go, how is that possible? What is that about? So I'm going to address that first, and then we'll talk about Moses. But I can't think of a better way for God to speak to Moses than in a burning bush. Because if we look at the setting of this scripture right here, the people of Israel are being oppressed. The people of Israel are in slavery. The people of Israel just have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They are burning but they're not consumed. Somebody here needs to hear that today, that there might be things in life where you feel like you can barely swim, that you're barely treading water because life is weighing you down, but you will not be consumed because the God that made the heavens and earth is with you. And he loves you and he hears you and he has placed people for you in your life to show who he is, a God that is merciful and gracious. And so when we feel like God is absent, we need to be like the Israelites and cry out to him and say, God, be with us, because he shows up. But when God shows up and prompts us, we need to be like Moses, who sees a burning bush and takes a step towards it. See, Moses 
in this story, I love the story of Moses, and especially this week, it made me super emotional thinking about Moses at this moment, this moment in his life. He went from being with the Egyptians to fleeing Egypt to learning what it means to be a shepherd to then God coming and grabbing him and saying, you will lead my people. And this is beautiful because Moses fled Egypt because he murdered someone. And he was scared that he was going to be pursued and killed. See, Moses saw an Egyptian oppressing the Israelites and he took it upon himself to respond. He took it upon himself and said, fine, you're oppressing them, I'm going to kill you. And that is what he did. So here, we see that a murderer was invited into the presence of God. And not just that, that God had been working on him since he left Egypt. A man who was quick to respond and kill someone to free his people becomes a shepherd. A very humbling job. Because to be a shepherd, all you have to do is care for these things called sheep. And sheep are dumb. You have to protect them from predators. You have to protect them and lead them to a place of rest where they can eat. Moses was learning what it meant to be a humble leader far before he knew God was working on his heart. So a murderer becomes a shepherd. And then that shepherd is invited into the presence of God. There are times in our lives where we feel ashamed and we feel like we've done something that God can never love us, that we can never feel forgiveness, that we can't even be in this church right now. But I want you to know that if God invites Moses into his presence, you are invited into his presence. It doesn't matter what you've done, are doing, or are going to do. God loves you. He is with you. He will never stop chasing after you, just like Moses ran away. God chased after him and said, no, you will do this my way now. You don't have to feel ashamed to come into the presence of God. In fact, when we do feel ashamed, I think that's the perfect opportunity to say, God, I'm sorry, or God, thank you. Thank you for still loving me, even though I did blank. Thank you, God, for the fact that you never stopped chasing after your people, like you didn't just leave Israel in Egypt, just like you didn't just leave Moses to be a shepherd. God invites Moses into his presence, and we see Moses is tasked by God to now go liberate the Israelites. And we see that in 3.10 through 12. God tells Moses, you will go to Pharaoh and ask for my people to be free. The very thing that Moses murdered the Egyptian for, God is now calling him to do. And yet we see a different response from Moses here. Where at first he was eager to go and do something about it. Now we see him respond with, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now I'm sure you've heard this story preached before and I'm sure some of you maybe have read commentaries or something on this section. It's at this point where commentaries or sermons will say, well, Moses was doubting himself. 
I don't think he's doubting himself yet. I know how the story goes, okay? We're looking at these verses. I know he does doubt God and he does doubt himself. But right here, I don't view this question as doubt. I'd view it as a man who spent 40 years learning what it means to be a shepherd, who spent 40 years having to deal with the fact that he had to flee from a place because he killed someone. I see a man who was working through everything that he had done and is now serving sheep. I see why he responds with, who am I, God, to do this? And the beautiful thing about God is God says, I will be with you. (laughs) Moses was terrified to do this. There's no doubt about it. But God says, I will be with you. We are reminded here that God will not send us to do something without first preparing the way. Moses had to go and spend 40 years learning what it meant to be a shepherd so that he could shepherd the people of Israel. God had to work on his heart in that season. But as we also learned, God had to work on the heart of the Israelites to cry out to him in their need. And then we see that God was working throughout all of it to prepare a place that was even better for them. And I know that in seasons, even in this own story, where Israel feels like there is no hope, where Moses feels like there is no hope at all, and God is like, I am with you. There is always hope as long as I am with you. And even if there's no hope this side of eternity, under the sun, under the heavens, even if there's no hope on this side, there is a hope because I am preparing something better for you. No matter the deepest valley you may be in, no matter the mountaintop high, none of it compares to what God is preparing. But God is with you whether on the mountaintop or whether you're in that valley. He does not leave you. God is with you always. Just like he was with Israel and Moses, the idea of God being in a valley but preparing something more for you (laughs) is a beautiful homage and idea, metaphor, whatever you want to call it, to Psalm 23. It's one of my favorite psalms for times where I'm just like, God, where are you? Like, this is happening. What do I do? And so if you're feeling that in this season or if you recognize the busyness of this season, you're like, I just don't know how to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm burning, but I'm not consumed. Let this psalm wash over you today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you, Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We could be in the presence of our enemies, 
We could be in the deepest valley and God would still be there protecting us. He would still be there preparing a table for us that's better than anything we could have ever imagined. And I know many of your lives are hard. Many. I've heard some of your stories. I've heard some of the things you've had to go through. But I promise you that God is with you in it. He's not leaving you. He's not abandoning you. He is with you throughout all of it. And even if you don't experience this verse 6, this side of eternity, know that surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all of your days. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because God is with us. He's with us in the moment, helping us through whatever we're going through. And he goes before us to prepare something better. I began the sermon with talking about raviolis and my dad on Thanksgiving. And one of the best parts about this entire thing is my dad's in every part of it, helping us with the raviolis that we're making to then take home. We don't eat the raviolis we made that night. See, instead, a couple days before, my dad was making raviolis for us. See, before my dad went to the store to buy the sauces that he knows each individual kid would like. He does all this before we show up. And then while we're there, he's boiling this big old pot of water, making sure that the water doesn't go anywhere or that Sam doesn't go tip it over. And yet he's also participating in the fact that we're all making ravioli in that moment. I can't think of a better analogy for a moment where somebody is preparing in the moment with you, but has already gone before you to prepare something better. And I know, like I said already, that there are times in our lives where our dads, they're not good to us. But we need to remember that our earthly fathers will never be perfect. But our heavenly father is. And Moses and Israel and us have God in every moment because God is with us. And I don't know what some of your guys' lives look like right now or the busyness or whether you feel like you're being consumed but not at all because God is with you. But the one thing I do know is that not only was God with us, but he also sent his son to die for us. Israel got to experience what that was like in a glimpse. Moses got to experience what that was like in a glimpse. But we get to see the full reality of God with us. So Lord, as we head into a time of worship, I pray that we would know that you are truly with us, that you are a God that does not leave us, but instead you are with us, preparing us, whether it's for something this side of eternity or the other. Lord, you go in the presence of our enemies and prepare a table that is exactly what we need. Lord, I pray, just as Israel cried out to you for their need for you, that we would be like Israel when we need you, Lord, that we would cry out, that we would cry out when we want to celebrate you, Lord, but that we would also be like Moses, who sees a burning bush, who sees your presence and walks towards you. Lord, may the truth that you invited Moses, a murderer, into your presence reign in our ears this week so that we can know that there is nothing that we can do that can separate us from your love. 
because you are always chasing after us. You are always protecting us because you are with us. Amen.